Good morning. That's a little better. We have to do one minor adjustment here. So in case I get carried away, I don't lose the mic. Thank you, Jenny, for that beautiful song. Nice to know what kind of a God we have. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about a subject that is so fundamental to the Christian life and the Christian walk and Christian doctrine. Um, I've titled my message today simply True Repentance. Let's just take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us. For you have set us free. You have given us such a hope. And you have forgiven us. And that in you, we now have eternal life because of what it cost you at Calvary. What a price that was paid there. What love the Father has for us. And we look forward, Lord Jesus, one day of being with you. And we pray and we hope that that will be the case for everyone here this morning. And we pray if there's anyone in the audience that doesn't know you personally as Savior, as Lord, that today they would discover just how much you love them, how much you've done for them, and how much you want to do for them for all eternity. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me this morning to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, And we'll start in verse 6. This verse of scripture is so fundamental. It is such an ideal verse in explaining what God means by repentance. The book of Isaiah Chapter 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And may the Lord bless the reading of his scripture This morning, for a definition I found in Unger's Bible Dictionary, the following for repentance in the theological sense, a fundamental and thorough change in the hearts of men from sin and toward God. 
In other words, when someone accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there must be, there has to be, there should be a change in the person. I can speak from personal experience that I really wasn't a nice fellow. If you think I'm bad now, believe me, I was worse. Um, I grew up and life was pretty simple. Um, My friends and I were fairly safe. And compared to some of the more rowdy ones, we could be likened to Richie and his friends in happy days. It wasn't till I got into the service and there's nothing against the service. I stand behind the service. I support the service and I support our men and women in the service and in harm's way. But when I got in there. I got away from the home environment and I really discovered in so many horrible ways what it could be to be a sinner. I also was very convinced in my beliefs at that time that there was no God. It was off a beach in Hawaii drowning that I somehow discovered that maybe there was a God. It's amazing as... um, Uh, Jim, the colonel who was with us for a while, they have a saying in the service, there's no atheists in foxholes. And I said, if by any chance there's anybody out there, I'll take a little aid. Miraculously, he did. Typically, I ignored it after it was over, saying it was a coincidence. But years later, I did come to know him. And I can say there was a drastic change in my life and compared to what I had been. That just takes place when we come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell in us, the Spirit of God. And there is a difference. When the Spirit of God comes to dwell in the life of a believer, he will not share it with things that are not acceptable to God. A quote about repentance For there to be genuine salvation, keeping in mind that we are saved by faith in Christ, finished work at Calvary alone, but for there to be genuine salvation, repentance must be present, for it is the evidence of true salvation. There must be a desire in the heart of the person to no longer want to live the way they have. There is a desire for more, for good. Why repentance for a sinner? Simply because God commands it. He did so in the verse that we just read this morning. What is repentance? It is a change in the life of one who has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. That's what repentance is. In Acts 3.19 it says, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord.
another adjustment. Another quote. Real repentance thinks God's thoughts about sin and hates it. God takes God's side against self. One takes God's side against self and dies to it. That is sin. Turns to God himself and serves him and him alone. There can be no saving faith without true repentance. True repentance contains these essential elements. One, a genuine sorrow takes place in the life of a Christian. There's a sorrow towards God on account of their sins. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verses nine and ten. You may turn there if you wish. It's not necessary. Second Corinthians. Chapter seven, verses nine and ten. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. There is in the life of one who has truly repented a re- inward and inward repugnance to sin necessary followed by the act of forsaking it. When we come to God, when we confess our sins, when there's something in our life that has been harmful, and understand one thing, all sins in our life are harmful. We don't want to believe that before we're a Christian. We want to justify them. But in reality, sin harms the life of any person. And so we're not only grieved, but there must be a desire to forsake it, such as in Acts 26.20. You can look it up later. Another quote on repentance. Real repentance is sorrow for the deed, not for getting caught. There must be genuine regret for the life and the sins that are in it. Not just remorse because it has made us and others miserable. That is not enough for true repentance. There must also be a humble self-surrender to the will and service of God. When we truly get saved, we must have a desire to follow him, to read his word, to want to be with the people of God. That's what Christianity is all about. How can we have repentance? If there's anyone here today and you're not a Christian and you're not a Christian by God's definition as Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. 
Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. No need to turn to it. It is as simple a definition for accepting Jesus Christ as I've ever seen in the Bible. It says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man, man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Another quote. Our circumstances and difficulties should not be the reason for our salvation. Rather, they are the things that drive us to Christ. Once we come to Jesus, we must realize it is our sinful nature that is the real problem. And confessing our sins and accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is the solution. There have been times when people have felt pressured by their surroundings. Maybe they're in a life that's surrounded by Christians and they're not. So it's easy for them to finally say, maybe I can just back them off. I'll just go through the routine. You see, those those circumstances of the rest of the family being Christians are not going to produce anything in that person. There's going to be no salvation. There's going to be no repentance because there was nothing there. I heard a testimony once of a man who later did get saved who said the father said, if you want to marry my daughter, you've got to be a Christian. He says, well, I became a Christian. You see, it was all about marrying the daughter. Not seeing himself before God as a sinner. Without seeing that, without understanding that. And let's make no mistake, everyone, as it says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person is born a sinner. Oh, you say, how can you say that? Maybe right now you have a little niece or a nephew. Maybe you have a grandchild or a uh, Maybe you have a son or a daughter that's very young and they're so innocent and they're so lovely and they're so beautiful, which they are. But they still have a sinful nature. Trust me. I discovered that with my son. Great guy back there. Okay, no doubt about it. But when he was an infant, when he was a little baby, I pulled the baby bottle out of his mouth before he was done. Trust me, he was not happy. If he knew how to operate a 357 Magnum, he would have blown me away. Okay? He wanted the bottle. I had it. He was mad. You see? Not that they're out and they're not diabolical. Let's not go there. But there is that nature. It is in us. We can thank Adam and Eve for that. But let's not get too uh, proud about that because we wouldn't have been any different. Okay? They were no, it was no contest between them and Jesus Christ. There is a song that I love that states how I was, how most were before they came to Christ. The song is at Calvary. It says, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. 
There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. There is a perfect definition. I could have cared less about religion, Jesus Christ, or anything before I got saved. Now, if you're here this morning, and in hearing these things, your response is, I just can't accept this as the only solution. Or I don't believe the Bible is the final word, which is very common. That would have been me. I basically am a good person. I think I'll be okay. I'm a very religious person and I have my own beliefs. God has an answer for you. I don't have the answer. God in his word has the answer. And it's found in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says simply, there is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. That is so sobering. That is so bizarre. Because we as individuals, if we had... And the example I'm going to use was good for everybody except Mike Souza because his funnest day, funnest, his best day was sitting on top of a pyramid in Egypt in 150 degrees. So he doesn't count on this one. Okay. But if you were given the opportunity to be given a chalet in a beautiful valley and surrounded by mountains and a bubbling brook and everything else you want to put in the picture, go ahead or given a little hut in Death Valley, come on. I, I have to believe that 99.9% of us this morning would pick the chalet. Yes? Yes? yes. It's okay, Mike. He's saying no. We'll, I'll come up with a different solution for him. In other words, it makes no sense, does it, to pick the hut when you can have this free I mean, it's yours. No taxes. How about that? No taxes. You choose it. That's it. In God's eyes, God has provided a way of escape from the penalty for sin. The penalty for sin is death. I have come up against people, big, tall, big, Powerful guys that say, I'll just spit in the eye of God when I pass into the next life. I'm here to tell you that every person who does not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the minute, the millisecond that they leave this life and they enter hell, will have such regrets Forever. And that is it. Forever. Forever. In a trillion years from now, they still will be in agony. They still will have remorse for their situation. The Bible says they have gnashing of teeth. Gnashing. They're gritting their teeth. Because it is so horrific. 
absolutely horrific. But it is on the basis of their choice. That's not what God wants to give us. God wants to give us a mansion in heaven. Do we deserve it? Absolutely not. Are we, are we worthy? No. We get there through the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ at the cross. The alternative, when you look at it from God's perspective, makes no sense. Makes absolutely no sense. It's suicidal to not take his gift of eternal life. The amazing thing is just the way we are, just where we are, that spoke to me so clearly in a hotel room in, Leeming, in the Leamington Hotel in Oakland, California, when it was explained to me that he loved me just the way I was because I wasn't a nice person. I was a mean person. I was a get even person. I was a hater of God. And it shocked me. I didn't need evidence that he existed at that point. I didn't need all the things that sometimes atheists need to understand who God really is. I melted when I heard that all the times I gave Christians over the years hard times and were rude to them and mocked them and him and took his name in vain thousands of times, he loved me. He did not like my sin. Correct. It kept me from him, my sin, but he loved me. So the alternative makes absolutely no sense. Not to accept his free gift. No sense. And if you don't accept his free gift, when you leave this life, it will be much clearer to you, unfortunately. You don't die, you don't rot, and it's over. You will be in hell for eternity, or you can be in heaven with peace and joy and laughter and just wonderful, everything wonderful forever. I want to take a moment now to talk to Christians and professing Christians, Christians who maybe thinks, think they are Christians but never have had really true repentance and also Christians who are definitely saved. Uh, they're headed for heaven. No matter what their conduct is, they're true Christians. Some questions this morning. What is our condition this morning with the Savior, pure and simple? Kindly try and look at that from God's eyes, not yours. Is he pleased with us this morning? Is he blessing and directing our life this morning? Are we living for him and for his glory? Is he still the Lord of our life as he once was? Or are we away from the presence of the Lord? And only one thing takes us from his presence, and that is sin. We are truly saved. We will continue to be saved. But the Holy Spirit diminishes in our life. And we no longer have, if I can use the word, that little bit of vitality in our step 
and we're happy. When God is pleased with us, we're happy, aren't we? Are we happy this morning? Or has this present world found its way back into your life? 1 John 2.16 says, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life are not from the Father, but from the world. How are our spiritual eyes this morning? Are you back involved in the sins that once he gave you victory over? There are so many of them. No two people are alike. No two people have to confess the identical sins. There's usually although a multiple of sins in our life that when we come to Jesus, he forgives us for. He gives us victory over and he replaces them with marvelous things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Is pride coming back into your life? Arrogance? Conceit? Lying? Unholy? Immoral? Lust? Impurity? God forbid, homosexuality? Selfishness? Or lovers of self? God hates lovers of self. As he does all sin. Malicious gossips. You see, not just gossip. Gossip, it really is a um, too simplistic of a term because gossip is malicious. Gossip's intent is always to hurt and to harm. Anger, bitterness, resentment, strife, jealousy, envy, love of money, idolatry. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is your life not the same as it once was when you turned it over to Jesus? When you were given the opportunity to repent of your sins, which happens throughout our Christian walk, there are times when... God convicts us of something in our life that's wrong. It can be something small. It can be something big. In the sense that big being it's affected our life in a much bigger way than some other sins. Did you humble yourself before God and accept the reproof? Or did you reject it? Did you not humble yourself before God and confess your sins, but rather refuse to do so due to your hard heart and rebellion, rebellious state? You see, there are those that when confronted with their sins, they immediately, re, re, they immediately start to justify. They start to rationalize. They start to argue about it, which is pretty foolish when you think about the person you're really arguing with is God. 
If this has happened to you in the past or if this has happened to you in your present state, these are the things that will take place in your life. First, the Lord has this to say about you. In Psalm 50, verses 16 and 17, it says, But to the wicked, God says, What right do you have to tell me of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. That's what God has to say about the heart that rejects correction. Second, the result is that you have the self-deceived notion that you're a victim. Isn't that amazing? When you don't want to be honest with God, when you don't want to humble yourself, when you don't want to just say, yes, I've sinned, please forgive me. The result is what Paul in the scriptures calls carnal. Carnal. And when you become a carnal Christian, you start to justify your every action and you see yourself as a victim. Third, the victim notion is a lie because you never truly repented. And God gave you the opportunity to do so. But now this is your defense. You see, when you don't be honest with God, that's your defense. I become the victim. I disagree with the correction. I've seen it many times, and it is sad because that person will be the loser. Fourth, you not only avoid counsel for important situations in your spiritual life, but you justify this action and you actually start boasting about it, that you don't seek counsel and you start to encourage others to do the same. That's what carnal Christians do. God calls this person a carnal Christian. Fifth, you must be aware that God is not pleased with your condition. You are not in a good place. And in God's eyes, You are simply a rebellious child of God, and God is not pleased with you. But in conclusion, the good news is this. It's never too late to repent. It is never too late to go to God and possibly others, if need be, and seek forgiveness. And he will do it. He wants nothing better than to forgive his child that has been caught up in rebellion. And if you're a sinner here today, 
This can be the first day of the rest of your life. This can be a good thing. This can be a wonderful time. Because there is nothing like you having the Almighty indwell us. And when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God indwells us. He who created the heavens and the earth. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is always present. He is sovereign. He is all these things. And he is coming to give his spirit to our spirit so that our spirit and his spirit can once for once and forever be in harmony. For eternity. If we put off repentance another day, we have a day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. A quote. If you're a Christian today and you're not walking with God, and remember this is in God's eyes, not your own self-deception. Understand that completely. It's not too late. He's actually waiting for you. Go read the story of the prodigal. Go understand the father's love for the prodigal. What did it say about the prodigal when he came to the end and all his friends and so forth and his worldly desires and passions and everything came to abrupt end and he was sitting in a pig stall feeding the swine? He came to his senses. If we simply come to our senses and turn to him and truly repent, truly repent, were restored instantaneously. Don't be like Demas, who Paul said this of in 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and is gone. How sad was the life and testimony and legacy of Demas. Let's just take a moment, shall we, and bow our heads, close your eyes. And I want to read the text to you again this morning that we started with. And then I want to ask a couple of questions. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. This is God's promise to you this morning. If you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, if you have come to realize that he really is not. Or if there's some doubt in your mind, whether you truly are, you have a wonderful opportunity this morning to discover his love. And if you would like me to pray for you, and later if you wish to speak with you, please just raise your hand. Is there anyone here this morning? 
For those of you who are Christians and you've realized that you are not where you should be with your walk and your life with Jesus Christ, if you've found that the sins have crept back into your life, if you realize he's not pleased with you and that there needs to be a change and you would like me to pray for you, just simply slip your hand up and down and I will pray for you. Amen. I saw your hand. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the life we have in you. We thank you for the future we have in you forever. But we thank you for the blessings that can be afforded to us if we simply trust you and walk with you in this life. And we pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not yet know you, has not yet discovered how much you love them, how much you want to do for them, how much you want to bless them, how much you want to make them to be with you for all time. We pray this morning that they would make that decision. They would not put it off. And we pray these things and all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.